This is episode 242 of That Shakespeare Life. Our show is supported by listeners just like you who sign up to be our patrons. Get access to bonus content and insider looks at the making of our show when you become a patron today. Sign up at patreon.com slash that Shakespeare life. If you like being able to bring a piece of Shakespeare's history home with you, then you will enjoy playing card games and trying authentic recipes inside Experience Shakespeare. It's the best place to cook, play, and create your way through the life of William Shakespeare. Sign up today at castycash.com slash experience and stay tuned after the episode for even more details. Hi, I'm James Seth, Assistant Professor of English at Central Washington University and author of Maritime Musicians and Performers on Early Modern English Voyages and Shakespeare's Sea Dogs. Another great method for studying the life of William Shakespeare includes listening to this. It's That Shakespeare Life with my friend Cassidy Cash. I don't think Cankered Grandam really describes it adequately because she emerged from 16 years of captivity at the age of 65. This is a time when women women's life expectancy was something around 30. And she emerged at that age and she started ruling England. That's a great achievement for the 12th century. Welcome to That Shakespeare Life with Cassidy Cash. Cassidy believes that if you desire to successfully learn or perform Shakespeare's plays, then understanding the real life and history of William Shakespeare himself is a must. That Shakespeare Life is the podcast that helps you go beyond the curtain of some of Shakespeare's most iconic works and explore the world of early modern England as Shakespeare would have lived it, learning from the writers, historians, and performers who know it best. And now, here's Cassidy. In Shakespeare's play King John, Eleanor of Aquitaine is portrayed as Queen Eleanor, who is decrepit and old, but strong-willed and highly intelligent. For many Shakespeareans, the real history of this extraordinary woman is confined to the portrayal they see in Shakespeare's works. Our guest this week, Alison Ware, joins the show to introduce us to the real history of Eleanor of Aquitaine, not only as we remember her today, but to share with us what Shakespeare would have known about her, as well as what it's important to know about her real life when you encounter Shakespeare portrayal of her in his play. Alison Ware is a British author and public historian. She primarily writes about the history of English royal women and families in the form of biographies that explore their historical setting. She has also written numerous works of historical fiction. You can find links to Alison's books, including the ones on Eleanor of Aquitaine, and more information about her history travel tours, all packed into the show notes for today's episode. Hello, Alison. Welcome to the show. Hi, Cassidy. We know her as Eleanor of Aquitaine, but explain for us what exactly is Aquitaine? Aquitaine was a duchy uh, that occupied much of the the south of what is now France. It was one of the greatest fiefdoms in Europe. And because Eleanor was sovereign duchess in her own right, that made her a very desirable match indeed. In the play King John, Eleanor is portrayed as both decrepit and old, but she's also strong-willed and highly intelligent. And I wonder, does Shakespeare's portrayal of Eleanor fall in line with what evidence we have about her real final years of life? I don't think Cankered Grandam really describes it adequately because she emerged from 16 years of captivity at the age of 65. This is a time when women women's life expectancy was something around 30. 
And she emerged that age and she started ruling England. That's a great achievement for the 12th century. And it's on these years that her towering reputation rests. There have been scandals in her past, but in her lifetime, these were forgotten in the wake of her statecraft. Alison tackles many controversies about Eleanor of Aquitaine in her book. But Alison, what was one of these controversial approaches that gets the most outcry from your readers? I'm sorry, do you mean in in the context of the 12th century or what people say about Eleanor of Aquitaine now? I'm going to say for the 12th century, like which which of her controversies are the highlight of her life, I guess? Well, I mean, I mean, there are the relationships with her. First of all, her uncle, Raymond of Antioch. Because when she went on the Second Crusade with her first husband, Louis VII of France, in the late 1140s, she clearly intrigued, not just politically, but probably in a more romantic way, let's put it like that, with her uncle, who she hadn't seen since he was a child. And he was a a very charismatic prince. And he wanted the King of France, rather than to go on a crusade and and recapture Jerusalem, he wanted him to, you know, to fight Antioch's battles for him. And Louis didn't want to do this. Eleanor sided with her uncle. And it was the the chroniclers all hint very heavily indeed that she was doing more than siding with her uncle. She was having an affair with him. And in the end, Louis had her bundled into a chariot and carried out of Antioch. So that didn't do her reputation any good. They were estranged for the next couple of years. And they went to see the Pope on their way home from the crusade, which was a total failure. And the Pope said they want they, Eleanor wanted an annulment because she said she discovered that Louis was her cousin. Very convenient. And the Pope said no. He said no. He he, he had a beautiful bed made up in one of his chambers with beautiful hangings and said make good use of it. You know, and this is this was sort of, you know this was sort of you know marital therapy, twelfth century style. So that was that. And then later on, it was claimed that Eleanor had had an affair with her, the hus- with the father of her second husband, Henry II of England. I don't think it's true, because if it was, it would have created such a scandal and compromised the succession because it would have rendered the, the marriage incestuous and the children bastards. You know, I don't think Henry VIII has anything on Eleanor of Aquitaine in terms of flamboyant and colourful stories from their lives. But but was it true? I mean, by the middle of the 13th century, it was being said that Eleanor had had an affair with the Turkish Emir Saladin, Richard the Lionheart's great foe during the Crusades. Saladin was about 11, 11 or 12 at the time. It doesn't ring true. I would, I would hope not. We'll give, we'll give her that one. Yes, yes, I think so. But it's all about the garbled version. Now, when Eleanor of Aquitaine married Henry Anjou, Alison writes that their marriage was hasty and without proper ceremony. In context of her other marriages, this may be indicative of a trend here. But Alison, share with us what should have happened and some of the reasons why did they decide to forego the traditional pomp and circumstance that was expected? Well, they did marry in Poitiers Cathedral. It didn't. It wasn't entirely without some pomp and circumstance, but it was a very rushed and quite covered because Henry and Eleanor were both vassals of the King of France. And the King of France, when he married Eleanor, had gained not only the Duchy of Aquitaine through marriage to her, but also the County of Poitou. So it was more or less half of modern France, because at that time, the Kingdom of France was basically the bit around Paris. The King of France might have been a king and, and all his vassals might have owned allegiance to him, but he actually had less land than they did. 
And so he he lost when he when Eleanor divorced him, he lost these lands. And of course, he would have feared Henry of Anjou gaining possession of them because that would have made Henry already had a lot of territory in the northern part of France, and he would that would have made Henry the, the most powerful prince in Europe. So, but first of all, they should have got his permission as their overlord. They didn't. And Eleanor, as soon as she got her divorce, made her covert way south to Aquitaine to marry Henry. She sent for him and today she was a free woman because they clearly had hit it off very well at the French court earlier on. And so they married in defiance of Louis. And it caused a lot of a lot of scandal, I can tell you. <laughs> it sounds quite dangerous of a decision, I think. But but that it kind does. of goes along with the what you were mentioning earlier about it being rare for a woman to exercise political power. I I wonder why she was able to get away with this. I mean, why Eleanor of Aquitaine is wielding her own forces here and, and stepping out and being not just extremely independent, but in direct defiance to the king of France. How was she able to get away with all of this? Why was she not seen as a, a threat or something that needed to well, be removed? Was. I mean, she was seen as a threat, but it was her husband, basically, who was seen as the greater threat because Henry of Anjou it was 19 at the time. You must remember she was 30. He already he had a formidable reputation. He had he had inherited um he was the Count of he was Count of Anjou after his father's death, and he was Duke of Normandy. And um, you know, and he was he was he had his eye on gaining more and more territory, and he was in line to inherit the Kingdom of England at this time. He hadn't yet become King of England. Louis was a bit scared of him, I think, if the truth be known. And there was there were a lot of sort of saber rattling going on, not literally, but um but nothing, no full-scale war developed. Um, peace, an uneasy peace was made between them. So a lot of tensions being gingerly stepped around during this time. A lot, yes, absolutely. Now, bringing it back around to Shakespeare's portrayal of her, England and France were not united by the time Shakespeare was writing about the Angevin history in his play, King John. The political climate was completely different during Shakespeare's lifetime. So what would the reception have been to the story of Eleanor of Aquitaine for Shakespeare's England? Was she considered a respected figure for 16th and 17th century England? Not necessarily, because a lot of chronicles, there were still a lot of scurrilous legends about it, particularly the Rosamond legends. Now, these these are connected with Henry's mistress. We, there's no doubt that Rosamond de Clifford, Fair Rosamond, as she was known, was the mistress of Henry II while he was married to during his marriage to Eleanor. I mean, Henry Henry was serially unfaithful to Eleanor. He was unfaithful early, very very early in, in the early weeks of their marriage because he had a bastard born nine months later. But he he had this affair with Rosamond, and it clearly rattled Eleanor. Nowadays, we can prove a lot of this, uh, a lot of the legends that grew up around it, that Eleanor had her murdered in various grim ways, and, and there was a labyrinth in the palace at Woodstock. But the time Shakespeare was writing, this was accepted as fact. So Eleanor would have been seen as something of a sinister character. That explains the, the decrepit and alongside strong-willed and intelligence portrayal that we see him give her. Absolutely. And the word cankered, it suggests that there's something rotten in her. Which makes sense, given what they believed at the time. And there was was a time where where character is believed to manifest itself physically, like Richard III having portrayed as a hunchback. Absolutely. So the physical traits were there mirroring what they believed about her character. Yes, yes. That's how people saw it at that time. Now, obviously, your books are the starting point, I think, for where to learn about Eleanor of Aquitaine, for sure. But I wonder if you have any other resources you could recommend for some of our listeners who may be new to the story of Eleanor of Aquitaine. What are some places they should definitely look to learn more about her life? 
do you mean places they would visit or things they should read? There are, there are many, many biographies, many excellent ones. One by Sarah Cockerell came out just a few years ago. That's excellent. I hadn't thought about places to visit, but I'm I'm interested now that you've you've said that. What places should they visit? Well, if you want to find Eleanor of Aquitaine, the main place to go is Fontevraud Abbey, where she was buried and where she spent her latter years, and which she had a, a spiritual affiliation for most of her life, right from childhood. That and, and the abbey still stands. The abbey church still stands. Some of the cloisters still stand. Part of them are a beautiful hotel. So and that those that her tomb is in the abbey. She lies with her son Richard the Lionheart and her other son and and, and her husband Henry the Second and her daughter-in-law Isabella of Angoulême. And these four beautifully painted tombs are in the choir. They've been moved around a lot over the centuries, but this this is where you go to find Ellen. I couldn't drag myself away. It's the most beautiful church, a wonderful place. It sounds fantastic, and I I know many of my listeners will already know this. But Alison leads history tours to fantastic places that are key to the history of England. So if you want to check out the show notes for today's episode, we'll put links to where you can find Eleanor of Aquitaine's tomb and more information about that, as well as more information about Alison's history tours. So make sure you go there to see information about those. Now, Alison, we ask everyone this next question here at That Shakespeare Life, and that's what's the one book you would take with you on a deserted island? My friends in England tell me I'm supposed to allow you the complete works of Shakespeare and a copy of the Bible. So your choice would be in addition to those. Oh, right. I was just going to say the complete works of Shakespeare. <laughs> what would I take on under that? I would take Nora Loft's Suffolk trilogy. I'm being very greedy here. It's, it should be one book, actually. It's in, it's in three parts. It tells the story of, a, of an English house in a small town from the 14th century to the 1950s in three volumes. And it's wonderful. It's the history of England told through the story of a house. And I go back and back to it. It's Nora Loft's Suffolk trilogy. I think that's an excellent selection. And since I did give you the complete works of Shakespeare to start with, I think I set you up for it to be okay to take more than one book and certainly a set. So thank you, yes, thank you very much. That would be a, that would be a good choice for your desert island. So what's it next was. for you? What are you working on now that you're excited about? I just finished a novel about Henry VIII called Henry VIII, The Heart and the Crown in America. It's called The King's Pleasure. And that's coming out in May. And that was um, uh, no pressure there, writing a novel about Henry VIII. <laughs> right. <laughs> that's a huge subject. <laughs> yes, that's a monumental task. I'm sure you're excited to see it uh, all put together. And that's exciting. We will link to where you can check out Alison's new book and certainly read some of her books about Eleanor of Aquitaine. Alison, it's just a delight to speak with you. Thank you so much for being here and sharing with us the history of this fantastic figure from history. Thank you so much, Cassidy. It's been a pleasure for me too. Thank you. If you liked the show today, be sure to let us know about it. Drop us a comment and a rating on the platform you're listening from today. If you would like to see more information about Eleanor of Aquitaine, including the links I mentioned from Allison's books, along with portraits of Eleanor of Aquitaine and other historical tidbits, be sure to check out the show notes for today's episode. You can find all of these things at CassidyCash.com slash episode 242. That's CassidyCash.com slash EP242. That Shakespeare Life is available each week, free to listen and completely commercial free, all thanks to the support of our patrons. You can play a direct part in helping us continue to keep That Shakespeare Life free to listen anywhere in the world by signing up to support our work at patreon.com slash that Shakespeare Life. As a patron, you'll get access to sneak peeks at upcoming episodes, the chance to submit your own questions that I'll ask on a future episode, and exclusive patrons-only content like documentary short films, animated versions of Shakespeare's plays, 
virtual tours, and more. Explore all the fun benefits of being a patron and sign up today at patreon.com slash that Shakespeare life. That's patreon.com slash that Shakespeare life. If you're an educator in Shakespeare history, then you will love Experience Shakespeare. Experience Shakespeare is our exclusive line of history activity kits that take pieces of the 16th century and let you try it out for yourself at home or in your classroom. You can learn card games like Naughty that's mentioned in Two Gentlemen of Verona. You can also learn how to make Tudor soap balls and Iron Gall ink. Each activity kit comes with a printable history guide, video tutorial, supply list, and step-by-step instructions so you can try these activities out at home or Share them digitally with your classroom. Each kit also contains bonus resources like worksheets, history guides, and more. You can find out more about these kits and sign up for your first one today at CassidyCash.com slash experience. That's CassidyCash.com slash experience. That Shakespeare Life is researched and produced by me, Cassidy Cash. Our audio engineer is Gary Mayholm. That's it for this week. Thank you for listening. I'm Cassidy Cash, and I hope you learn something new about the Bard. I'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to That Shakespeare Life. As always, the best conversations happen after the episode over at CassidyCash.com. Become a part of a vibrant Shakespeare conversation by adding your voice over at the website. Until next time, remember, when you want to know William Shakespeare, you have to go behind the curtain and into That Shakespeare Life.